0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Rebecca Lawrence and this is Voices. In this set of interviews I will be focusing on issues of inclusion, diversity and allyship through intimate conversations with wine industry professionals from all over the globe. If you enjoy listening please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps us cover equipment, production and publication costs and remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in.
1: Da 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 da. 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 Minia zavut, minia zavut, Minya zavut, Minna zavut. Stevie Kim. All right, that's enough. Welcome to Italian Wine Podcast, Russian Edition. Voices with Eleonora Sculls. Good morning! Buongiorno! <laughs> how are you? How are you? Oh my gosh, it's been such a long time. They didn't have anybody available, so I hope you're okay with me.
0: <laughs> well, I'm totally delighted and honored,
1: you know. <laughs> Eleonora, so how, how have you been? I, I, I've, I haven't seen you in the longest time, of course, because of COVID.
0: No, I, I'm perfectly fine. And I've been doing things from home. So obviously I changed the modality as or everybody has done. And I think I'm quite happy doing things from here because uh, I get more like intimate look into wineries and wines. I can spend more time tasting wines, understanding what's going on in the wineries. And I actually do like this one-to-one approach rather than blanket tastings. But from September, everything seems to have exploded, really. So I've been traveling a lot and doing lots of things and uh, been to Alto Adige and now going to Piemonte this uh, weekend. So yeah, things things seem to be, appear to be getting back to normal, really.
1: So what are you doing in Piemonte this weekend?
0: There is event for Nizza, So they are doing just a very short uh, two-day event, uh, explaining the vineyards and having an e-bike tour around their um, best vineyards. And then I think also meeting the producers and obviously some tastings. So it's very quick, but quite intense.
1: So Eleonora, would you mind,
0: for the benefit of our audience,
1: presenting yourself? Because, of course, I'll do a terrible, unjust job. Maybe just introduce yourself to our audience.
0: Yes, of course. I am Eleonora Scholes, and uh, despite my misleading name, I'm Russian. I was born in the south of Russia, uh, in the Caucasus. Whereabouts in, in, um, in Russia? It's a very interesting area. It's still Russia, the northern part of the Caucasus, near the uh, area called the Caucasus Mineral Waters. So it is a really famous spa area in Russia. Uh, and uh, so we were, uh, because the climate was good there, we were actually drinking wine, and wine was a very accepted drink. So, and then I moved to Moscow. I was doing some other things. I worked in a, a consultancy company called uh, Price PricewaterhouseCoopers.
1: <laughs> oh my God, no, no way. You know, do you know, Eleonora, do you know I was a consultant also for Pricewaterhouse? Oh my God, I'm going to find out you're like my twin sister. No, when? That's crazy. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. I started in Cooper's and Lybron back in 98. Oh no, you say you, you're, young, you're younger than I am because when I started, there was no Pricewaterhouse, Cooper's, Library, only Pricewaterhouse, you know?
0: Right. And I was on the Coopers and Libran side. And then I was actually working in marketing and we had to do the merger for Coopers. So that was one of my biggest projects back in that company. Wow, that's so funny. And, and, and then it was a purely by, not really chance, but uh, uh, my interest in wine was started as a hobby. Because again, at the time, you know, in Moscow, wine was either a really, really expensive, prestige status drink or there was uh, some undrinkable stuff that was uh, being exported and sold as as a really nice European wine. So I wanted to know a bit more. And while traveling in France, uh, that's uh, where my interest in wine really started. And then we also were extremely lucky going to South Africa as a holiday near Cape Town, and we were staying, as it turned out, in a very nice wine region. So we had loads of time, and we could explore in a very leisurely manner. And I absolutely loved South Africa because, you know, the wineries were all geared to towards wine tourism. They were welcomed people, and it was so easy. Uh, compared to what was going on in France, and Italy, which was almost impossible, you know, to knock on the door and say, please, can I taste some of your wines? Or can I have a look at your winery? Uh, so that's how it started. That was back in uh, late 90s. Yeah. And then in early two thousand, I wrote something at the time. There was only one kind of wine-oriented publication in Russia. So I wrote just a small letter as a reader, not as a journalist or anything and it was accepted and somehow they contacted me and said look you're writing very well why don't you carry on because as you can imagine back 20 years ago there were very 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 few people who could write intelligently about wine so and uh, that's that's how it started bit by bit and then it grew into being a full-time job so i was a freelance journalist for the next uh, probably 15 years but i did study i, I went to london And I studied in uh, WSET. I think I was the first Russian doing that at the time. Oh, you're kidding. They were telling me that there were no record of any other Russians who were there, who were coming from Russia to study. (laughs) So I did it with 100 points out of 100. I was very pleased. That's amazing. Right.
1: Oh my god how how did I'm sorry you know you know I am an APP provider of W set in Verona how the hell do you get 100 out of 100 is this is
0: was this was this
1: level um 2 or level 3 uh,
0: yes i started with level uh, i started with level 2 because at the time even that was a huge huge progress you know that there was no formal education in russia so for me just to try my to see whether I can do it and whether this is something that I can carry on later as a profession so for, for me that was a massive challenge but uh, I'm quite used to being an achiever because I have you know uh, I graduated school with a with a medal uh, as it was in the Russian times, in the Soviet times. Then I went to the university to study uh, English and psychology. So I also graduated with uh, with the best marks. So for me, if I do something, I try to do it very, very well. <laughs> so getting 100 points was...
1: <laughs> well, you know, Lenora, there's... Uh- there is a word for that in Italian, as you know, it's called secchione. <laughs> you know, it, it, it means, of course, you're a super achiever. I love that word, secchione. That completely is you, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it grabs the meaning very well, the the essential meaning, meaning. So that was at the beginning. And then also the very funny thing, I, I mean, uh, uh, Stevie, I'm not used to talking so much about myself. <laughs>
1: No, no, that's what it's about. You know, this is a special segment about diversity and inclusion series. And we talk women, leadership and inclusion kind of series. So we'd love to hear about your personal story. Right. So, and then back in Moscow... Uh, you, do you have any secrets that I, we should know, like you want to tell everybody? The secrets? Any skeletons in the closet you would like to unveil? This is your opportunity.
0: This is my moment. Well, actually, life was very exciting and very easy. And I think uh, there was no particular moment in my life that is not known to other people. So I think I'm pretty much exposed anyway. Uh, Going back to those times when, you know, early 2000s, Russia was a very, very interesting market at the time because it was before China.
1: No, I'm not that old. I can't remember.
0: Uh, So there was lots and lots uh, going on. But that, that, that was my impression from that time, um, and because again, there were very few people who could uh, who were wine experts uh, who were independent. Uh, so we were doing lots of lots of interesting tastings, high profile tastings, and when I had to move to Italy with my family, and it wasn't something that we deliberately uh, planned to do to go to Italy. In fact, I've never been. In Italy before,
1: but is your husband Italian? But it, uh, my husband had to work here. So. Oh, that's even worse. He's British. He's British. <laughs> that's perfect. That's
0: why you are still married. Luckily, he doesn't work in wine business, so that's why yes, it's it's a great combination. So uh, on Lake Como, it was of course you know it's it's an absolute dream place to be. But unfortunately, we picked up uh, the only uh, place where there is no serious wine growing or winemaking. So my lifestyle has changed dramatically because all of a sudden, after Moscow, where you get lots of attention and you just have to choose whether you have to go today to Chateau Latour or to Gaia tasting, And then you get to Como where you actually have to get out and find out what's going on in Italy and travel, actually travel to all these places.
1: So I understand you're living in Como,
0: is that correct? We've lived on Lake Como for 16 years now. So I consider it to be my second, to be honest, my home now because I've never lived in one place for so long. So 16 years, it is one third of my life. And we we now have a house in a beautiful place overlooking the lake and overlooking the city of Como. So, and and I'm so absolutely happy here.
1: Yeah, I don't feel so sorry for you. I don't know if you were thinking (laughs) I should be crying of your sad life here. Listen, so tell us about the pandemic period. How did you, in terms of personally, but also from a professional perspective, how did you survive? I mean, it's not over yet, unfortunately, but how did you survive the pandemic from from where you're sitting? Were you able to travel? Uh, did you go, Were you able to go back to Russia?
0: What was your life like? You know, Stevie, looking back at it now, I think it wasn't really too hard to live through these times. Of course, they've completely changed certain routines or, of course, stopping to travel all of a sudden. I was last time in Moscow in autumn 2019 and I could not go to Russia after that at all and I still have not been yet. But there were certain things which perhaps helped me to cope better because I've always been on my own. So my base has always been at home. So in this respect, I didn't have to go to the office or anything and I think the wineries were very good in the sense that they also switched to the new times very quickly, and uh, it just became all very digital. The samples would be sent, and we would have lots of these Zoom tastings or online meetings, so that, that was probably the biggest shift. But I can't complain, as I was telling you uh, at the beginning. It helped me actually to focus more on individual wineries to understand their stories better. And I think that this one-to-one approach, I actually love it because I'm not the person who loves tasting hundreds and hundreds of wines. I do it because it's my job and I have to understand what's going on uh, and uh, how the quality is developing. But on the other side... I do prefer uh, to do the storytelling. And to do the storytelling is, of course, you have to speak with the individual people. And uh, this was an absolutely perfect time to, to do that. And I think also on the other side, I think all my neighbours uh, here were very happy because I was getting lots of samples of wine. So, you know, when there's so many bottles open, I think all our street benefited a little bit from that. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we actually... Drinking Italian wines, not just at home, but uh, also with the friends and uh, doing lots of aperitivi. And one of the very unexpected things which happened during uh, last summer is uh, uh, I have a friend. She's a, a food writer. She's Italian, lives in Como. And she used to come to the aperitives. you know, last summer when everything was closed. And then she approached me and said, why don't we write a book uh, about the aperitives?" I say, well, why not? Let's write a book. So we actually wrote a book together. She was looking after the Italian recipes and I was structuring them to see which wines will suit and go with them. Uh, So this book is about to be published in Denmark. This is the first market and it will be in the Danish language. So I'm I'm really excited about it. So, you know, that's one uh, result of uh, the pandemic, which I never expected, but it would never have happened if we weren't sitting at home and uh, drinking nice aperitivo in the garden.
1: <laughs> so, you know, congratulations. What, what is the book called? I mean, not in Danish,
0: please. Uh, well, we wrote it in English. It's, uh, so it's called Aperitivo, the Italian Happy Hour well the
1: title I think it's a bestseller already Aperitivo.
0: <laughs> well we, we, we are open so the, the first market is Denmark and uh, if somebody is interested to publish it in English language will be we are open for the offers why not it's it's uh, really
1: Yeah I I no I mean I'm completely interested in looking at your galleys Right, yes. So send them my way. Okay. You know, I mean, of course, I'm a tiny publisher, but I would love to have a look. It it sounds great. I'm really looking forward to that. Listen, so, so you took the opportunity to write a book during pandemic. So congratulations, kudos to you. I know, how has your, I know you also, um, of course, is the founder and owner of Spaziovino, which is a website dedicated to Italian wine in Russian. What did you do with the website? Did it accelerate? Did it, because I think during the pandemic, a lot of the projects that we were working on completely accelerated. I'm talking, of course, about the Italian wine podcast, but other uh, projects that we we're working on. What about for Spaziovino?
0: Uh, well, this is a, this is a good question, Steve. Um, first of all, the reason why I started Spatsovino, which was back nine years ago in 2012, is uh, I actually wanted to downshift a bit because at the time when I moved to Italy, uh, I was writing about fine wines for the Russian market in Russian, but at the same time being a person from Russia who was quite knowledgeable about the market and obviously with their marketing background. I was very much in demand as uh, an expert uh, to explain what was happening on the Russian market. So a little bit like a business analyst. So I had to do a lot going to the conferences, explaining the Russian market situation, the trends, the importation. So these were two completely different aspects of what I was doing. I was also a correspondent for Wine Business International for a very, very long time. But at some point, uh, I realized And also, at that time, I had to travel not just in Italy, but for wine wines I was traveling all around Europe and also to Chile, so I never limited myself just to Italy at that time. But at some point, I realized that it was just getting too much. It was becoming a little bit uncontrollable. And in Russia, uh, there's always been interest towards Italian wine. There's always been a really good mutual feeling about Italy, Russia, and, you know, Italian fashion especially. Uh, food, Italian restaurants were extremely popular. So I thought maybe it's about time that I, especially living in Italy, I could stop and concentrate on Italian wines, just explain this diversity because it's, it's extremely difficult to do that. And I don't think anybody's done it in Russian at that time. So my website was the first and it's because people already knew my reputation. So they welcomed it. And it's from the very beginning became the point of reference for the Italian wines. I mean, I'm still uh, keeping it more of a niche website. I do not have any plans of massive expansions. I've never had them. I thought I'd be writing, but I'll be writing well. Maybe not so frequently, maybe not turning it into a huge portal. Uh, But the quality of information for me was the greatest priority and it still is. I still do not rush to publish hundreds of articles. I do not so many, maybe, compared to other websites. But I'm trying to do it as well as I possibly can. So during COVID, the situation was quite interesting. On the one hand, yes, absolutely, there was a lot of interest to, to read more online. As you were saying, it's exactly the same experience. On the other side, uh, I saw that people appreciating more the personal uh, stories. Because on the website, I'm trying to be a little bit conservative. So for me, the priority goes to reporting information in a correct way. But maybe it's lacking a little bit of a personal approach. But I was using other social media channels, my personal ones. And I saw that the same things, which were a little bit told from there, Uh, From my perspective, and maybe a little bit more opinionated, that sparked a lot of interest. So at the moment, I find it complimentary, but essentially, you know, the website is mine. So people know that if they want some specific information, they go to the website if they want to have a little bit more of an opinion or really the experiential part of it, then they they, they read my social media. They both complement each other in a very very good way.
1: So I mean, are there other writers for Vino or is it just you?
0: Well, I'm doing let's say ninety five percent of work. Mm-hmm. I uh, do have a friend and a colleague who is an excellent wine taster, and I really trust her uh, tasting abilities. Be- and we've known each other for over twenty. 20 years so she is the person who really loves she's more of a technical person so she does like to go and do big tastings so when there are big events like Antiprima in tuscany for example so she's the one who would go and write uh, tasting reports which will then be published on spazio vino so that's the only collaboration that they have otherwise i do everything myself
1: and who are your readers are they mostly from russia Do you have any analytics you can share with us?
0: Yes, well, you know, uh, you would think uh, that my only market would be Russian.
1: Not only, but predominantly, right? Or or not?
0: It is. It is. It still accounts for two-thirds, but you would think that it should be like 90%. But in fact, uh, the website is read by people all over the world because um, we just don't think that, you know, even the former Russian republics, especially Ukraine, knows uh, the website very well, and I used to work with some Ukrainian publications in the past, so that probably helped. Uh, but also places like Kazakhstan, for example, or the, the, the Baltic Republics. And the funny thing is uh, even Israel or the United States, where there are lots of Russian speakers which formerly came from the uh, Soviet Union, maybe. And Italy, in the end, also accounts for about 10% uh, of the readership. And I think it's more to do with the fact that when people actually are in Italy traveling around and, you know, looking for some information about wine in Russian, so that's uh, that's where they get it. Uh, they go to search and uh, Vino comes up well for specific search in Russian language.
1: So, you know, um, of course, I remember meeting you in the very beginning when I started with in Italy. We reached out to you because you're the basically only uh, Russian wine, Italian wine expert of Russian origin that was in our radar and you did one of our, actually a couple of master classes for Vinitoli Russia at the time. So I've known you for a very, very long time. It seems like 100 years, but maybe 10 years. Um, And you have been incredibly dedicated to promoting Italian wine. And I personally thank you very much for that. Um, what are your What are your plans like? Exciting any exciting plans coming up the next few months?
0: It's uh, it's a little bit difficult uh, to say uh, for the few months, but I definitely know what I'm going to do uh, before the end of the year. And one of them being, apart from uh, some travels to wine areas, which I always enjoy, one of them is, of course, being present at a Wine to Wine uh, event, which is your event. Oh,
1: yes, Wine to Wine. How can we forget about that? How did I forget
0: about that? And I'm really that I'm going to be a speaker uh, at this event, Stevie. So I'm very, very grateful to you that after after many years, once I spoke at Vinita in Verona, but again, that was uh, quite a while ago. So so um, I'll be very excited to come back.
1: And you know, I don't know if you know, I'm looking at the program now, actually, as we speak, and you are going to be also moderating bunch of right. Russian inquiries okay, cool. like tons, like... I see Daria, Svetlana, Igor, Angelina, another Svetlana. Of course, everyone in Russia is called Svetlana, but besides that. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you'll be doing with the Russian importers at wine to wine
0: uh, Well, uh, of course, we need to... Um Still to talk and to finalize some things, uh, uh, but I already see that there are lots of trends and lots of events which happened even this year, which are not necessarily understood very well uh, in Europe. Can you anticipate some of them? Sure. For me, one of the most important topics would be to talk about the new law, which was passed this summer and which put to a certain halt and created a massive confusion in the wine market. This new law was about introducing new classification of wine, which on one hand is extremely useful and very good because it's Bringing the classification of the the Russian classification close to the European uh, classification on wines, but on the other hand, it was not implemented uh, very well in practical terms. Uh, so you know there was no traditional period. There was the systems were not ready. The customs was using the old classification, and that created certain chaos. And even at some point, uh, the importation of wine stopped. Uh, so so I think uh, this is a very important topic. To understand, first of all, for the wine producers who may be confused, what's going on in Russia?
1: But did that include the champagne? The whole whole scandal about the champagne classification.
0: To be very honest with you, Stevie, I think it was used as an as a as a communication excuse. Uh, in fact, the classification did not stop bringing sparkling wine. Okay, yes, uh, it is now officially not called Champagne anymore. And in fact, the um, protected origin is now only left uh, internally, only for the Russian wines. So if you're importing uh, a wine from Champagne, it's just classified as a sparkling wine. But I would imagine if somebody in Italy decided to bring some Russian wine from a specific uh, area, uh, it would still be just classified as Russian sparkling, it would not have any specific, you know, uh, indication of origin. So in, in, in some ways, Russia is trying to make things a bit simple for the internal cons- consumers. It, it just had to be communicated in a much better way to the European market of what's done and why it is done and how it should be done. And that, unfortunately, has not been done properly. So, and yeah. Can you share with us another trend? The other trend is obviously how the market is changing in terms of demand for wine. And I find this extremely exciting because now the Russian market is Apart from being one of the top 10 uh, export markets for the Italian uh, wine industry, it has become also a really, really dynamic one. I remember very well, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was almost impossible to bring something uh, that would not come from, if it wasn't coming from Tuscany or from Veneto or Prosecco and Puglia. And these days, people are specifically looking for very, very niche wines of course, we are talking about, you know, wine geeks, but I think this market, the premium market, is very good because nobody's uh, looking more for brands. Of course, they are classical. Uh, this is a classic offer which will always be around. Uh, but people uh, are more curious. They like to explore. And uh, uh, one of the latest things, for example, are wines of Etna, which, which is incredible. Or people are looking for Valle d'Aosta or Valtellina, something that was extremely difficult, almost impossible to talk about even five, ten years ago. Uh, or I also find uh, that I was speaking to some producers, for example, even in Prosecco. Prosecco has always been one of the best sellers in Russia, even before uh, the boom for Prosecco came uh, in 2009. Um, Russia was importing a lot of Prosecco even before that. And it still continues. I was speaking to producers this year and I was surprised to know that they are really happy about the way that uh, uh, Russian importers take uh, also specific products like uh, single vineyards, which are called Rive, which I know is a really difficult uh, concept to explain even among the lovers of Valdobyad and Prosecco. But it seems like in Russia there is this segment of consumers who are very happy and prepared uh, to, uh, to know more about these things, to explore them. And uh, I think part of the reason being is that the Russian consumers are relatively young compared maybe to other markets. So they are much more flexible, they are much more open to new things, and they are ready to have something which is not mainstream.
1: So, yeah, we love, I mean, we love, everyone talks about China wine market, but Italian wine has not made any significant progress there in terms of market share. It's tiny, tiny, tiny still. Whereas in Russia, we often overlook, but Italian wine is very, very significant. So, of course, Vinitoli, Russia has been successful and we love, you know, we love to do events in Russia in general. In fact, I just want to remind the listeners, that we do have for the first time Vinitale International Academy for the first time on the 20th and 22nd of November. If anyone is interested, please go to see Vinitaly International.com. One last question What is your, I know it's like asking you who's your favorite child, but what is your Italian island wine? If you had one bottle to take to a deserted island, which wine would it be?
0: Right, well, without going into specific names, I would say that it will be a, a wine based on Nibbiolo grape. So maybe it will not necessarily be from the Lange. Uh, you know, I'm also the ambassador for the Lange wines, uh, so I should really be talking about Barolo and Barbaresco. But I love Nibbiolo grape as a whole, and it's... Uh, it's an expression also in the Alto Piemonte or in Valtellina. This is the closest wine region where I live. It, it's just incredible. And talking about Nibiolo, yes, I will bring a nice pasta with truffles, white truffle from Alba. So that, that will be my absolutely ultimate getaway wine, whatever you call it, last supper, anything. But that, that would be my absolutely perfect match made in heaven.
1: Great. That sounds... I'm getting hungry. It's only, I think, like 11 o'clock. So we can find you, spaziovino.com. Where else can the audience find you? What are your social media handles?
0: Well, mostly either on the Facebook and uh, Instagram. Uh, this is one of my uh, preferred channels. Uh, it's, uh, and I love it because it, 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 it's very dynamic. So yeah, either the website or the Facebook or the Instagram. Okay, great. So thank you for joining us.
1: This has been Italian Wine Podcast with Eleonora Scholes. Thank you for joining us, Eleonora. And I will actually see you very, very soon in Verona at
0: wine 2 Wine. Right, Stevie. Yeah, see you in a few weeks in Verona. I'm looking forward to that very much.
1: Ciao. Grazie mille. Un bacio. <laughs> Grazie, <Steve. laughs> and that's a for today's special episode of Voices. If you were paying attention, we mentioned the Vinital International Academy's Russia edition is coming to Moscow and St. Petersburg from the 20s to the twenty. 2nd of November 2021, if you or anyone you know if you is interested in learning more about Italian wine, be sure to spread the word. More information can be found in the SoundCloud description box of this podcast and if you liked today's show, go ahead and like and follow our show. Sing,